Good morning, Harvest Fairfax. Uh, It is really good to be with you this morning. I've heard so much about all that God's doing in and through your church. Um, So if you would, grab your Bibles, your smartphones, your tablets, or whatever it is that you use to get your eyes on God's Word. Uh, And would you meet me in 2 Corinthians chapter 2? We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 this morning. And while you're turning there, I bring you greetings from your sister church to the South Harvest Raleigh. Um, My wife and I are originally from Maryland, so it is good to be back in an area where um, you guys at least know what a Wawa is. Um, I will argue till the day I die that that is the best coffee. It might be an acquired taste, I don't know, but, uh, but it's good to be back, and it's an honor to fill in for your pastor. Um, when I first got to Southeastern Seminary um, and people found out that I was at Harvest Raleigh, the, the question I was always asked was, do you know Jeff Hohenshaw? And it was asked so many times, and the answer was no at first, but I've gotten to know him a little bit, and you guys already know this, but um, he loves you as a church. Uh, his enthusiasm and passion for the gospel is contagious. Um, And it is an honor to fill in for him this morning. So uh, let's stop and pray, and then we'll get into God's word together. Uh, Father, you are good, and it is a privilege to come before you and offer our worship to you because you are worthy. God, as we look into your word now, we ask that your spirit would be present and moving and convicting and encouraging us. And God, we need you so much even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, evangelism is one of those topics that when it comes up, we, uh, we start feeling a little guilty, don't we? Like the kind of guilt that realizes, hey, it's June, and that New Year's resolution that I made, it really hasn't happened in about you know, five and a half months. Uh, it's not that we don't know that Jesus' final marching orders to us as the church before he ascended was to go and make disciples of all nations. It's not even that we don't sincerely and genuinely want to make an impact and share the gospel with the people around us. It's just that for whatever reason, evangelism scares us to death, right? Like all of us. Terrifies me, too. I think a lot of the reason it makes us so nervous is because we, when it comes down to it, we really don't understand what our part in the Great Commission is and, and how we can actually be Great Commission Christians. We don't know what that looks like. There's so many lies that we believe and excuses we might be tempted to give ourselves as to what a Great Commission, collect, a great commission Christian even looks like that we run the risk of sidelining ourselves instead of leveraging our lives for the gospel. And if I could summarize, uh, I think the majority of those excuses that we might be tempted to say to ourselves and give ourselves, it would sound something like this. We might be tempted to say to ourselves, you know what? A Great Commission Christian is a super Christian. I'm not that. I'm not a super Christian. You guys want some, some good news this morning? I'm not either. And in fact, there's no such thing as a super Christian, but we create them in our minds as if to say that, hey, you know, those are the people that are really nailing it when it comes to evangelism. And those are the people that are so outgoing that they can start a conversation with a telephone pole and lead it to Christ. And that those are the people that God calls to be pastors and missionaries and church planners because, you know what, they can just explain things better than I can and, and you know, that they have the, the time to, to vote to, to things like that. You see, but for me, I'm just just trying to survive the work week, trying to keep my boss happy, trying to keep my kids from, from going into chaos for just five more minutes, or I'm just trying to care for my aging parents. And, and the problem is, is that we can get so distracted and, and burdened by the everyday stuff of life that we forget that our mission field is everyday life. Let me just say that again. that We can get so bogged down by the everyday stuff of life that we that we can forget that our mission field is everyday life. 
So how do we become Great Commission Christians? Well, honestly, it's going to take some fresh perspectives on our part. And so we're going to look at those this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Because missions and evangelism isn't something that we send someone else to do. It's, it's us being obedient to go where we are. So as we jump in, here's our big idea, kind of our one-sentence overarching theme for the passage this morning. It's this. God's plan to reach the people around you with the gospel is you. That God's plan to reach the people around you with the gospel is you. So follow along. Let's go ahead and read the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. The Apostle Paul says this. When I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was opened for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Well, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and right away in the first two verses, we learn a, a an important lesson that can be a fresh perspective for us, and it's this. Our circumstances aren't always ideal. Anybody feel that this morning, that, that maybe your circumstances where you are aren't ideal? And when we read these two verses in our quiet time, this is exactly the type of verses that we just kind of skip over. We'll, we'll be reading it, and we're like, all right, so Paul went to this place called Troas. I don't know where that is. He's looking for Titus. I've heard of him. He couldn't find him, so he, so he went somewhere else that I also haven't heard of. And then we just like... All right, let's move on to the, the, the important stuff, right? But if we get to understand the context of what, what Paul is facing, we, we really understand better what he's about to say. See, Paul had, Paul had a relationship with these Corinthian believers. On his second missionary journey, he stopped in Corinth, and he planted a church there, but he didn't just move on. He spent the next 18 months of his life pouring into these people. He, he, he pastored them. He taught them. He, he poured out his heart for them, and then he, they heard him. And we, we think that Paul's missionary journeys, like, you know, he stopped for a couple weeks at somewhere, but, but 18 months is a long time to pour into people. And then they turned around and, and, they, and they heard him. They, they broke his heart by, by being rebellious and sinful and immature. And, and if you just want to know kind of what Paul's facing here with these people, just go back and read 1 Corinthians and, and you'll have your eyes wide open to what they were like. But apparently, things got even worse after Paul wrote 1 Corinthians because false teachers showed up and they, they were trying to discredit Paul to the people that he loved in Corinth. And so these false teachers would show up and they're like, hey, you know that Paul guy that you guys like so much? He's, he's not really an apostle. See, it, you guys know every, every place he goes, he ends up in, in jail and he gets stoned and kicked out of town. Like, do you really think if he was actually from God, that kind of stuff would be happening to him? Because, see, see we're, we're from God, and like that kind of stuff doesn't happen to us. So just don't listen to Paul. Just listen to us. And some of the Corinthians started buying it, so, so Paul wrote them this stern letter, and he sent it with Titus. And apparently the Holy Spirit didn't want us to have this letter, but from what Paul says about that letter in 2 Corinthians, let's just say it wasn't written on a Hallmark greeting card. Uh, it's not the type of letter that you look forward to getting. It was a letter that grieved Paul to have to write, and he was worried about how, how are the Corinthians going to react to this? Like, what's their reaction going to be? Is this going to really upset them? 
So he planned ahead and he was going to meet up with Titus and Troas because he wanted to hear face-to-face what their reaction would be. So Paul gets to Troas, and, and when he gets there, there's an open door for the gospel. Like this is a, it's green grass for, for opportunity for ministry here, and that has to be exciting for Paul because he's wanted to be here ever since in Acts 16 when he tried to go here, but the Holy Spirit took him somewhere else. So, so he's got a great opportunity, but where's Titus? He's not there. What happened? Something wrong? Well, I kind of imagine this to be like you know, when we try to have an important conversation by texting. Anybody ever try to do that and it just, you know, it's not the best way to communicate, but we still try it, don't we? It's like when we spend 10 minutes typing out this important, important text and, and we kind of delete things and rephrase things because we want it to be perfect because it's already a delicate situation. And then we, we finally work up the courage to hit send. And if you have an iPhone, you get that little red receipt that, that says they saw it, but no response. And then all of a sudden you, you find yourself in full-out panic uh, because they're not answering, and then those three little dots show up that say that they're responding, but, and then they go away. And now you're back in full-out panic, and, you, and you're wondering, like, maybe I shouldn't have even sent this. Did I say something wrong? Have I hurt them? Is this the end of our friendship? Paul wants to know what their reaction is, but he's not going to get a text or an email in response. He's going to have to wait months and hopefully meet Titus and find out face to face. But when Paul couldn't find Titus, he, he decided to move on to Macedonia and try to meet up with, with Titus faster because he just couldn't wait. He's had to pick between fanning the flames of new faith and planting a church and sharing the gospel in a great place in Troas and putting out the wildfire of church conflict in Corinth. All that to say, Paul's circumstances are not ideal right here. This is not what Paul wants to be dealing with right now. The grass is greener in Troas. He'd rather be there. He's got, he's got great opportunities that the, the Lord has opened doors, but God has sovereignly taken him somewhere else to deal with some tough things and some painful people and painful situations. And instead of running from it, Paul's going to do what he always does. He's going to put his head down be faithful with the gospel right where he is, right in that tough situation. Maybe you're here this morning and, and you're facing a situation kind of like Paul. I'm not saying that, that you've written a severe letter to another church and you're waiting for their response, but if you're honest, maybe you know that you kind of feel your circumstances are not ideal right now where you are. And if you could fill in the blanks of the grass is greener in blank or, or with blank, you know exactly what you would say. And for that reason, being a great, great commission Christian is the farthest thing from your minds. Maybe it's that right now you're dreading 8 o'clock tomorrow morning when you have to walk back into that office with those people because you thought that your career would be somewhere else by now. It would have taken off, but you're still stuck here. Or, or maybe it's that Fairfax isn't even your home, but you got transferred here and you're just biding your time till the next transfer or till you can retire and settle down in one place. Maybe it's a, a health thing that you didn't think you'd be dealing with at this point in life or or maybe it's a difficult family relationship or a friendship that is causing you great pain right now. And, and because of all that, you, you kind of feel hopeless and you're thinking, man, there's no way I can make an impact for the gospel right where I am. But can I just say, you're in, you're in good company. I've been there. I, I know what it's like to, to just try to bide my time and tell myself, you know what, I'll, I'll be faithful with the gospel when I get somewhere else where, where the circumstances are more what I want it to be and it's in the situation that I want. I know what that's like, and, and Paul does too, because right here he's having to pick between, 
And I'd rather be in Troas where the opportunities are great, but I'm having to deal with these Corinthian believers that can't get their act together. So our first, fresh, first pre, fresh perspective is that our circumstances aren't always ideal. But, but what's Paul's secret? Like, how does he faithfully keep just going into tough situation after tough situation and administer the gospel? Well, here's our second fresh perspective. It's this. Paul understood that God uses us to spread his gospel. That God uses us to spread his gospel, even though the circumstances might not always be ideal. Paul's already admitted this this internal conflict that he's facing, and, and now he's going to show us how the mission that God has given us trumps all of that, and how we can be faithful with the gospel wherever we are, as we're just willing to go where we are. There's an entire tone shift in verses 14 through 17, where Paul goes from talking about his circumstances to talking about the privilege that he gets to play and that we get to play in God's mission. And he's going to give us three pictures that help us understand what does it actually look like in real life for us to be a great commissioned Christian. So here's the first one. We're not wandering but led. In, verses, in verse 14, we see that we're not wandering but led. And Paul says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You know, if we read that without really understanding the context, here's another place where we can kind of start going off on a different track and we can start reading that and think, all right, so what, what Paul's saying here is that because I'm a Christian, there's this just awesome victory parade going on, and everything's always going to be great. And that's really only very, very partially true. So there is a victory parade going on here, but it's not ours. It's Christ's. And we just have to understand our part and our place in that parade. The illustration Paul's using here, it was called a Roman triumph, and it's basically a Roman victory parade for a Roman general. It was the, the highest honor that a Roman general could get, or even qualifications for, for what would mean that they were allowed to receive it. Uh, first, the Roman general had to be the actual commander in the field. Like, he had to actually be present in the battle, not just sending orders from somewhere else. There had to have been at least 5,000 enemy soldiers captured or killed in the battle, and the Roman territory had to be expanded, not just protected. And if all those conditions were met, then the Roman government would honor the general with this thing. And we have nothing like this in our culture, so just try to picture it for a minute. Um, these celebrations could last for days. The, the roads would close in Rome. All the people would come out, and, and they would be ready to, to praise and, and celebrate and maybe even borderline worship this Roman general for the awesome victory that he had done. I think the closest thing that we have is uh, sports championship parades where we can imagine like the massive crowds and the excitement and so that's a good picture to help us get this, but, but here's the difference. So when this parade would start, there would be trumpet blasts announcing the fanfare and the excitement of this parade. And then behind the trumpets, as they marched through the streets of Rome, would come all the animals that were set aside to be offered to the Roman gods in celebration of this Roman general. And then the Roman general would come, and he'd be riding on this golden chariot, and the people would be cheering and giving him all of the glory for this awesome thing that he had done. And then behind him, he was leading all of the captives that he had taken in the battle. So that he's getting the glory for this awesome thing that happened, and they're just getting the shame, and they're just being led wherever he decides to take them, and he's leading them to their deaths in the arena where they're going to be forced to fight wild animals. And, and listen to this. The only way that they don't die is if the Roman general extends his grace to them. 
and saves their lives. And if that happened, then they'd be spending the rest of their lives in his service. So when Paul points to this picture of a Roman triumph, really what he's saying is, look, I am Christ's captured enemy. I'm not the Roman general that's, that's getting all the glory here. I'm the enemy that was captured. He captured my heart, and now he's leading me in triumphal procession everywhere it goes so that he gets the glory, to show that he's powerful and, and worthy of everything because he was God's enemy. And friends, so were we. Romans 5.10 says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life? See, we were Christ's enemies in a foreign land. And, and God sent his son to that foreign land in the form of a baby who would live a perfect life. And then he would go to the cross on Calvary in our place, taking on himself the punishment for the sins that, that we've committed and taking the punishment that we deserve. And God poured out his wrath in our place with him in our place. And then he rose from the dead, forever defeating death and sin. And now, Paul, and now he, he captured Paul on the road to Damascus when he was Saul. And now he's leading Paul everywhere he goes in triumphal procession so that Paul is serving him. That leads us to the question, has Christ conquered your heart? Do you remember the day that, that you stopped living as God's enemy and placed your faith in Jesus? And, and, and because of that, now you're living your life in serving him everywhere he takes you. If so, be, be encouraged this morning. You're not wandering. God's leading you sovereignly every place that you're going, even when it doesn't feel like it. So that, that job that you have that, that you really thought you'd be passed by now or that health thing that you're dealing with or, or, or that, that place that you're homesick for that you'd rather be right now, you're, you're not here by accident. God's led you here so that, so that you can spread his gospel. See, we have this tendency to forget our place in the parade. We, we would rather be the Roman general, making our own decisions and, and getting to, to go wherever we want. But again, we were Christ's enemies as sinners and he's conquered our hearts, and, and, and the parade isn't in our honor, but it's in his, and it's our privilege to get to serve him. So why is he leading us in all these places? Why is, he, why is he putting us through these hard things? Why is he putting us in these difficult situations? The end of verse 14 gives us our answer when it says, through us, he spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Again, it's because God uses us to spread his gospel. That brings us to, to our second image that Paul's going to give us to help us understand our, our, our responsibilities here, that, that we're not just wandering but led, but we're also led not as deodorant, but as perfume. Verses 15 and 16, we, we see that we are not deodorant, but we're perfume. So let's look at uh, 15 and 16 again. It says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death, to the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? You know, Paul, Paul's picture here is a lot easier for us to understand because it's not so hard for us to imagine uh, some smells that, that we're not uh, fans of or, or, or smells that we are fans of, either, either way. Uh, for instance, I can't stand the smell of peppers and onions being cooked. I, I don't know why. Maybe, maybe you understand that. Uh, I just I can't stand it. Uh, when I smell it, it's like all the air has been sucked out of the room and I just... I need fresh air, um, but here's the thing. My wife loves 
the smell of peppers and onions being cooked. So you can imagine the, uh, the problems that that can cause in our house. Um, you know, she's pretty gracious about it, and she'll usually try to cook those when I'm not home. But every once in a while, I'll come home while she's cooking that. And as soon as I open the front door, it's like I just I hit a wall of the fragrance of death. And then I'll go through the entire house, opening all the windows, turning on all the fans, just trying to, trying to get some fresh air in there. And she's just standing there cooking and enjoying it and getting hungry for whatever it is that she's cooking. But that's the picture that Paul's giving us here, that the, the message of the gospel is either loved or hated. He says that as Christians, we're carrying the aroma of Christ everywhere that we, that we go, and he's saying that, that we're spreading that aroma as we share the gospel, and that that aroma can either be like peppers and onions smell to me, uh, this terrible smell that needs to be gotten rid of immediately, or it can smell like peppers and onions smell to my wife, a, a smell that can be enjoyed and, and is appetizing for whatever's being cooked. And the difference in, in how we react to that smell is where we stand in Christ. We're called to spread the gospel as the aroma of Christ wherever we are, but, but here's the thing. Uh, we don't like being the fragrance of death. We, we don't like upsetting people around us with, with smells. That's why we wear deodorant, or at least I hope we do. Um, it's a fantastic invention. Um, but just like we wear deodorant so that we don't offend people with our smells, uh, we can be tempted to cover the aroma of the gospel with cultural deodorant. We can be tempted to, to do that so we don't upset people. And that, that's not what we're called to do. If we're going to go where we are, uh, we need to reach the people around us with the gospel. And that's going to call us to just be bold and, and embrace the aroma of Christ in our lives. Because the truth is, no matter what, whether we like it or not, just like, like certain smells, uh, the gospel is a divisive message. You can't be on the fence about where you stand with, with Christ. You can't stay neutral. Um, and just as Christ leads us in triumphal procession, and we're spreading that, that perfume that's either beautiful or repulsive to people around us. So we've got to be ready to be bold and, and have awkward, uncomfortable conversations uh, with our coworkers, our friends, our family members, our neighbors, the exact people that God has placed where we are so that we can spread his message where we are. It's the person sitting at the desk across from you. It's the guy living across the street. It's the, the barista that makes your coffee every morning. And maybe it's even someone in your house that you grew up with that, that knows the gospel. But if you're honest, they, you know, they haven't placed their faith in Jesus. But, but God calls us to embrace the aroma of Christ wherever we are. I know what you're thinking. Like, man, that's, do you know how hard that would be? Do, do you understand how, how hard those conversations would be? And, and yeah, I do. I think Paul does too. And I just love the question that he asks here at the end of verse 16. I, I just imagine him writing all of these, these things and looking back at what he had just written and, and just crying out, but who is sufficient for these things? Answer, no one. Not me. Not you. Not even Paul. Paul doesn't answer this question of sufficiency right here, but he does in the next chapter in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. He says this, But such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us a sacrifice, or has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. We're not sufficient on our own. 
We can't do this in our own strength. We can't do this by making our own convincing arguments to, to get the job done, but, but only by God using us and working through us. Just think back to what Jesus said at the end of the Great Commission after he had said, hey, go, go into the, all the world and make disciples. He finishes by saying this, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the earth. In other words, God is ascending God, but he's going with us. Our job is just to embrace the aroma of Christ, to, to speak the gospel boldly and leave the results to him. We'll never be sufficient, but we proclaim a Savior who is sufficient. God's just using us to spread his gospel where we are, but, but how do we get that job done? Like how, how practically can we have these conversations with people? How do we go where we are? And that brings us to our third picture that Paul gives us, and it's this. We go not as paid salespeople, but as satisfied customers. Not as paid salespeople, but satisfied customers. In verse 17, he finishes by saying, For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. We all know the stereotypes about telemarketers and used car salesmen. Um, if you have either of those jobs, I am sorry for this illustration. Um, and I, I do believe that there are great people in both of those fields, but, but the reputation does precede it. And, and we... There's a reason that we don't answer our phones when it's a number we don't recognize and, and we dread going car shopping, isn't there? Like we, we think that the person on the other end of the conversation is only driven by deception and greed and they'll say anything that we want to hear to get us to hand over our credit cards. And Paul says that's not what we're about as we share the gospel. We're not supposed to be marketing the gospel in, in some way to make it attractive to the world around us. It's not our message to, to change or, or repackage in a more... Uh, appetizing way. It's just his message that we're supposed to proclaim as it is. But just like we can be tempted to cover the aroma of Christ with cultural deodorant, we can be tempted to start viewing the lost as potential customers that, that we've got to say this exactly right and get them to, to take the bait and we'll unintentionally sometimes start repackaging the gospel in a way that seemingly would cost them less and give them more than, than what Christ has laid out in Scripture as to what the gospel actually is. We, we don't do it on purpose, but sometimes it just ends up being a result. I'll never forget learning uh, the lesson from my evangelism professor in seminary. Uh, see, if you're like me and you've been around the church a while, you've, you've either been to some evangelism trainings or you've read some, some books on evangelism. And really what those are is uh, the, the latest, greatest, most concise, uh, most clear way to present the gospel, at least that's what the author or the teacher will tell you. Uh, but if there, there's some great tools that can help us share the gospel clearly, but if we're not careful, if we're not careful about what we're doing, those can turn us into pay, paid salespeople with, with a product to deliver instead of satisfied customers. They're just excited about what God's done in our lives, that, that know firsthand the power of the gospel and the power of Jesus to save so we can add more pressure to, our, to the pressure we've already given ourselves when we start working up the courage to share the gospel with people. And so what, what would end up happening then is that we just back up our dump truck of knowledge and, and dump all, everything out on, on an unsuspecting person. But again, that's not what Paul calls us to do. It's not what God's word calls us to do. We're just supposed to be satisfied customers, sharing our experience, sharing our, our firsthand experience with the God of the universe the Savior that died for us, with the people around us, the people that we love. 
So what's that look like in real life? Well, in short, it's, it's a conversation and not a presentation. It's a satisfied customer sitting down with a friend and, and, and saying how Jesus changed their life. It's sitting down for coffee and being open and honest about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. It's a, it's a shift to start seeing everyday life as a mission field and to see wherever you work, not as 40 hours to just suffer through so we can get to the weekend, but the place that God has placed you to make an impact for the gospel. It's what God has called us to do as we go where we are. It might be multiple conversations with a friend that, that might end up taking place over years or even decades, but over time that person gets to watch your relationship with Christ and watch you go through things and, and see that, man, you're, you're really serious about this Jesus that you follow. And I see the change in you that he's making. Let's just be honest, what an awesome way that would be, it would be to spend a lifetime. So here's an important question that we have to wrestle with. Who do you know that's far from God but close to you? Who do you know in your life right now that's far from God but close to you? Earlier I mentioned that I know what it's like to just bide some time and tell myself, you know, I'll be faithful with the gospel when I get somewhere else, where I get to where I'd rather be. My first job out of high school was working in security at a local hospital and um, just like everybody else, I made friends at work. I worked night shifts, so we had lots of time to talk. And, and over time, God was gracious and gave me opportunities to, to share the gospel with the people that I had become friends with. And, and two people stick out in my mind in particular. One was a young man about my age, a Navy veteran, and he's a, he's a staunch atheist. Like he literally is the picture of what you think of someone that hates God. I've shared the gospel with him countless times over the years, and, and even as recently as this year, he still hates God. Then there was another guy at work, he's about 40 years older than me, that I shared the gospel with, and at some point along the way, I don't remember all the conversations, but, but he placed his faith in Jesus, and he's still walking with Christ, even to this day. It was exciting to see God working where I was in the workplace, but then I moved on to where I wanted to be. Got hired by my county sheriff's office and, and built even closer relationships and closer friendships with the people that I worked for. And for the next four years that I worked there, I did not share the gospel once. And it is one of the biggest regrets of my life. The people that I worked with, they knew I was a Christian. They, they knew that church was important to me. They knew that I was even in, in Bible college online and that I, I had planned to leave and go to seminary and become a pastor. But I never shared the gospel with them. I wasn't faithful with the gospel the truth is, I wasted four years of opportunities with people that I was close to because I was so busy with everyday life that I forgot or sometimes maybe even ignored that everyday life was my mission field and that God's plan to reach the people that I worked with was me and I wasn't faithful with it. God's been faithful and he's given me opportunities to share with some of those people since and go back and have important conversations, but, but it's still one of the, the biggest regrets of my life. So, so while the worship team's coming this morning, I would just beg and plead with you. Don't make the same mistake that I did. Don't view the people that you work with as just my coworkers, or, or the people across the street as just my neighbors or, or, or other people as just the people I went to college with, but view them as the people that God has sovereignly led you to so that you can be the aroma of Christ where you are and a satisfied customer sharing your relationship with Christ with them and trusting that he will work 
Again, who is it for you? Who, who do you know that's close, to, that's close to you but far from God? You don't know them by accident, and, and maybe it's even that you need to go back and have conversations with people and say, look, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, we've been friends for years, and I'm, sure, I'm sorry that I've never shared this with you, and, and then go on to share the gospel with them. I know those are tough conversations. I've had some, but, but God's grace is sufficient. That's what Paul says in another couple chapters. Remember, God's ascending God, but he's gonna go with you. If you're here this morning and, and you, you, you don't know Jesus as your personal savior, if you're listening to what I'm saying and you listen to me talk about this victory parade and you're like, I'm not being led anywhere in some victory parade by Christ. I might be on the outside watching the victory parade, but, but I'm not in it. I haven't surrendered my life to Christ. Just please hear me that God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. That if you would just place your faith in him, put your trust in him for salvation, cry out to him even this morning that he will save you. I just challenge you, don't leave here this morning without talking to me or someone around. They would be happy to talk to you about that and just get that settled today. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for who you are. We're privileged and so undeserving that you would die for us and place us in your service that we get to carry this message. Father, we just ask for the, for the people that are coming to the minds of those of us in this room this morning that, that are far from you but close to us, God, would you be working in their hearts already? Would you give us the boldness that we need to speak up for you, to not cover the aroma of Christ with cultural deodorant to, to trust that you'll work if we're obedient and faithful to proclaim your gospel as it is God you've laid on my heart Psalm 67 the past few days and we should make that our, this our prayer this morning that, that your ways would be made known on the earth that your saving power would be known among all nations that all the people would praise you God let all the peoples praise you let the nations be glad and sing for joy because you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations on earth. God, would you help us as we seek to follow you? In Jesus' name, amen.